So this is just picking up in the in the story of Gideon from where we left off last week. And uh, some of you might notice this is, at least in, in the English translation, kind of in between a, a divide or in between a section divide. Um, but remember, those divides aren't necessarily inherent in the original text. So this is probably a better, let's say, natural break uh, of the verses. So I'm going to just start reading in verse 33 of Judges chapter 6. It says, Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizarites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Nephtali, and they all went up to meet them. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. And if there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. And when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me, and let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. So those verses, verse 33 through 40, is what we're going to spend our time together on tonight. And the title of this section or this study is going to be, He Knows Our Frame. And that has reference to the fact that Gideon has a little bit of difficulty and a little bit of um, uh, almost like a a balk in faith. He he is going with God. God has shown himself to be faithful towards Gideon. uh, And yet Gideon has this moment where he gets the the sign of the fleece and then asks for essentially a double check to make sure that um, it really is so that God really is going with him. Uh, But we'll get there uh, in those verses. And so there's two questions, though, that I want to kind of frame our time with together as we uh, look at these verses. The first one uh, is out of verse 34. And you'll notice there it says that the spirit of Lord, spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. So the question that I have there for you to think about um, is what, what is the significance of that statement? Why does the author of Judges choose to include that phrase? This is not the only time that kind of phrase appears in scripture. So why does he make note of it for Gideon? You know, he had the last couple of Judges we've seen haven't necessarily had that phrase associated with them. So why does he, he make that note? And then the second question uh, that I think is worth asking uh, is what is the meaning of the fleece? What is the purpose of that? What does that tell us? So as we move through these verses, those are the two things to keep in mind. And so we're going to start just with a transitional break in verse 33. Uh, This is some time later from the events that transpired that we covered last week. So remember last week, Gideon tears down Baal and the Asheroth. He makes a sacrifice to Yahweh there. And after those events have transpired, that happened probably sometime when these uh, these people, the Amalekites and the Midianites, were not with the people of Israel. Now, some time has passed, and they're coming back over in the springtime to to plunder their their harvest. And so the Midianites and the Amalekites and all these people of the east come together, and they're going to do what they always do, which is they're going to raid the people of Israel. And this is something we saw early on in chapter 6. This is the, the problem that's on the ground for the Israelites, is these foreign people that are oppressing them are coming in and taking all of their crop yield, and then leaving. And so the Israelites at this point in time have the option. They know that these people are coming. And generally speaking, what they have to do is they have to retreat into uh, the far, uh, the far recesses of caves and caverns and kind of hide away. Um, But this time, instead of doing that, 
uh, you notice that verse 34 tells us that there is there's something different that's going to go on. It says, but this year, the spirit of the Lord clothes Gideon. And so in all the other years, what has happened is the Lord has essentially left the people to their own punishment, the punishment that he has put out before them. But this year, the spirit of the Lord is going to clothe Gideon and Gideon is going to be used as a uh, a savior for the people, as a judge or as a, a salvation, a deliverer for them. And so the, the way God is going to do that is, as it says in verse 34, he's going to clothe Gideon and through him clothing Gideon or, or literally putting Gideon on himself, he's going to rally all the people of Israel or the people that are gathered here together. Um, and you'll notice not all the tribes are listed, something worth thinking about for your own study. Uh, why aren't all the tribes there? But you'll notice they gather a few of the tribes. You notice Manasseh and Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali are all mentioned there. Um, and then also a, a people group known as the Abirazites are coming as well. And so all of these people are going to gather together to oppose the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the East. So they're going to try to resist them. And this force that is gathered is significant because it's, that's quite a substantial army. That's quite a substantial group of people that could essentially oppose the people of the East. And that comes into play later in the story of Gideon. We're not going to get there this week. But there's a motif that I pointed out earlier. Uh, I think it was in chapter one of uh, Judges is the first time we saw it, which is that when the tribes of Israel are all together, that's usually a general sign that things are about to go very well in the book of Judges. So earlier in the book of Judges, you see Simeon and Judah work together to resist and press into the promised land. And whenever you see the tribes working together, that's usually a sign or a signal to the reader that things are about to be on the upswing. So if you think about like how the, how the plot unfolds in a movie, this is like the training montage that happens right before you know a victory is about to happen. It's, it's, a, it's a sign that the, the story is going to take an upswing. And so it, similarly here in, in Judges, you've seen this a few times now, in the story of Deborah and Barak, when the people all gather together, that's when you know things are about to go well for the Israelites. They're going to have a victory. It's kind of a cue for you as a reader. And it's, it acts the same way here in the text. So all these people gather together, and you notice the, tribe of, the tribes of Israel get along. And that's something that doesn't always happen in the text. And this becomes more apparent as time goes on and you read into 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, the tribes of Israel do not get along very well. They're often at odds with one another. But in this text, we see a significant thing in that they they are working together, at least for this purpose, to resist the people of the East. And the question that I asked with this section of verses is, what is the significance of God clothing Gideon? Why does that get mentioned here? the reason I ask that is because, you know, God has so far in Judges two different times shown up with an angel of the Lord himself to either preach to the people or to act as a deliverance for them. And we know God can send his angels to wipe away these people. We know that God could, uh, if he wanted to, by his miraculous means, provide a victory for the Israelites. But in this instance, we see that, like in other times, and we'll see it again with Samson later, uh, God chooses to work through a human vessel specifically, clothe himself with that human vessel, and then work out his salvation. And this is a good thing for us because one of the things you'll notice is Gideon being clothed by the Lord does not necessarily mean Gideon is going to do everything perfectly from this point forward. He's still going to struggle with doubt. He's still going to have imperfections in how he rules. And that's a good thing because in the New Testament, we get terminology of uh, God putting his spirit within us to help us walk out our sanctification. And the expectation is then, oh, we'll do everything perfectly. If God's doing it with us, somehow, everything's going to be fine. But you'll notice that the apostles who had the spirit of the Lord on them, 
still mess up. Peter still falls in line and, and violates uh, against the, the other brothers. And he says, he, he kind of rolls with the Judaizers. And he says that it's okay to put the Jewish law on the Gentiles. And so even the apostles in the New Testament don't do things perfectly. And so that, that language of being clothed, I think, is encouraging because just, just because someone is clothed with the Spirit of God or has the Spirit of God indwelling them doesn't necessarily mean everything from that point in their life forward is perfection. And so if you struggle with sin, it shouldn't cause you to doubt whether God's Spirit is in you. It may, maybe should cause you to, to have, have some mourning, some lamenting, some repentance, but it shouldn't cause you to doubt your salvation, doubt the validity of God's Spirit um, living and working and abiding within you. And we, you'll notice this cue even now with Gideon and even more profoundly when we get to the text that deals with Samson and his, his story. So I just want to point that out, that that language is, I think, rather encouraging for us as believers. Um, and then we get to uh, the verses that are very uh, well taught uh, in Sunday school classes. These are probably texts that you might be uh, familiar with either via common story or picture book story. If there's ever a text in the book of Judges that gets commonly retold, it's typically the story of Samson and, and this story. These are the two very well-known texts in the book. And so not the, not the uh, 300 people who are going to now square off against the Midianites, but before that, the sign of the fleece, a very commonly referenced text. And so what is the purpose or what is the meaning of these verses? I think that's a good question for us to ask. So I'm going to start, just, I'm just going to read the whole section and then once more, and then we're going to kind of break it apart. Verse 36, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. And if there is dew on the fleece and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. And he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece and he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. And then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me and let me speak just once more. Please let me just test once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. So those verses are very commonly told. And typically the, f the frame you might get with this is Gideon is discerning what is God's will for him. Is it God's will for him to go out and to fight these people? Or is it God's will for him to not go out and fight these people? It's typically taught as a, a means of discernment. But you'll notice in the verses, uh, specifically point to the end of verse 37, Gideon asks, uh, shall I... I or he says, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have already said. So Gideon knows already what God's will is. God's will is that the people of um, Israel will be saved by his hand. God's already told him that. So this is not Gideon discerning what is God's will for his life or God's will for the next steps. This is Gideon asking God for assurance that God goes with him into that process. Very similarly, Barak says to Deborah, remember, uh, I will go. Will you go with me? And, and this is not Barak doubting God's will. This is Barak seeking for God's uh, assurance of his presence going with him. This is a very common thing in scripture. The same kind of thing can be seen of Moses in the Old Testament. Um, when Moses uh, asks God for, for clarity on whether he should go face Pharaoh. And, and God gives him a sign that he goes with him and his power goes with him as well. And so this is very similar to what Gideon is doing. And so how Gideon discerns that is he asks, he has a fleece on the threshing floor, which is where he's hiding. And he says, um, make the fleece wet and everything else around it dry so that there's no natural cause for this fleece to be wet. Make it a supernatural sign. 
And then when that happens, he, he reverses it and says, let the fleece now be dry and everything else around it wet. Now, if you're, if you're asking questions about which of those two is, let's say, a more significant event, the second one is far more significant. And the reason is because it's the natural condition of fleece to absorb moisture. So if everything around the fleece is wet, but the fleece itself is dry, that's a more significant thing than if everything else around it is dry and the fleece itself is wet. Now, both are supernatural, but the second one is a more profound, uh, more profound sign from God. So God is ramping up the scale as he, as he reveals himself to Gideon. And so uh, you, you can equate this to, you know, like a, like a towel. You, it, it, you could find a wet towel on the ground and the ground around it be dry. That's not fairly uncommon, right? But it'd be very hard to, to find a dry towel, like a bone dry towel, with all the ground around it wet. That, that would be a very uncommon kind of thing. And the reason it's uncommon is because it's the nature of the towel to absorb moisture. Same with the fleece. So if there was wetness around it and it was dry, something supernatural would have had to have occurred for the moisture not to be on the thing itself. And remember, he's leaving it out all night, so it can't be explained that it was dry. He just dropped it there and it didn't have time to absorb anything. So he leaves it out all night. It's dry. And so now he's assured of God's will. And you're, you're going to see in chapter 7, this, this impacts how he actually goes about uh, with God discerning who's to fight in his army and how he's going to go against these people. Um, but for now, we can ask the question, what is the, what is the purpose of these verses? Why is this included for us, this, this moment of discernment? And I think part of what it, what it serves as is a reminder to us that it's, that it's okay to struggle with, with doubt and, to, and that God kind of meets us where we're at. He knows our frame. He knows our struggles. He knows our weakness. And he, he meets Gideon where he's at to remind him that he goes with him. He's not changing his tune. He's not saying, you know, now that you've doubted, I'm going to take somebody else and use them to save Israel. He, he knows that Gideon is going to struggle with faith. He knows that Gideon is not going to walk things out perfectly. Even with his spirit in him, Gideon is still going to have this kind of doubting. And he's going to have this propensity towards second-guessing what God has said. And so he needs this reminder, this assurance that God does go with him. And so he asks for a sign. The previous time he's been given a sign was the direct teaching of the, the angel of the Lord. And so, and, and this is not something that's only true in the Old Testament. If you, if you follow into the New Testament, Jesus teaches powerfully for three years to his disciples. And then right at the end of his ministry, before he's going to go up uh, into glory, he's going to be crucified and then rise again. Before that, he gives them a sign. He gives them his body and his blood. And he says, these two things I offer you as a sign. They're a picture of the fact that my, my assurance of me being with you and going into all the world actually is true. That my sacrifice is a, it's a regular reminder of my death, burial, and resurrection on your behalf. Because as Christians, you're going to struggle with assurance of the pardon of sin. Even if I teach you that I can forgive all sins and I have pardoned you from your sin, you're going to struggle with that assurance. And so week after week after week, it was the pattern of the disciples to gather, to break bread together, and to remind one another through their common testimony that this is an assurance of God going with them and God having pardoned their sins. And so the sign of the fleece that Gideon has is very analogous to the, the sign that we get in the new covenant, that God does go with us, he, he has pardoned our sin, and he goes before us into all the world. And I think that's a great encouragement to us, because it's, I think it's easy for us to see the sign of the fleece and see it as something that has only happened in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, things like that don't happen anymore. But that kind of sign is, it's preached regularly every time we take communion. That kind of regular reminder of God's supernatural work of having died for sin, atoned for it on our behalf, and then having resurrected into newness of life. 
And we know that teaching isn't enough. We need that reminder. And all of you can probably attest to this because you've been taught the gospel. You know the gospel. You still struggle with sin. And then usually you need someone else to remind you about the gospel. And you need the sweet reminder of taking the bread and the wine and taking them together to remind you of God's assurance of pardon. This is not an uncommon thing. It's God's grace to us that he gives these things to us. He knows our frame. He knows our weakness. And so he meets us in that weakness. And I think that's a great encouragement to us. And the last thing I would like to, uh, I think, point out of these verses um, is a language that Gideon uses. Um, the reason I, I don't think that Gideon is sinning in his um, contention with God here, um, the language that he uses is very similar to the language that Abraham uses in Genesis when Abraham intercedes for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. So if you look at verse 39, uh, Gideon says, uh, let not your anger burn against me and let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry. This is not Gideon contending against God or opposing God or doubting God. This is Gideon admitting that he has weakness and he needs God to step in the gap. This is very similar to when Abraham intercedes for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, let, let not the Lord be angry. Please, if there's this many righteous people, would you save the city? And this is not Abraham sinning against God. This is Abraham engaging in dialogue with God in a respectful way, but nevertheless in a way that God is somehow comfortable with. Now, how an all-sovereign, almighty God is comfortable with that, I have no idea. But he does it for Job. He does it for Abraham. Here he does it for Gideon. And I, I would say that it's probably a fair statement to say that he, he still has that kind of open-handed invitation to all of his people. And now as someone who, who is very comfortable with the idea of a sovereign ruler God, but not so comfortable with the idea of a relator God, um, that's, that's tough for me to get my head around. But nevertheless, it's in the text. And so I think it's a good reminder to us as well that it's okay for us to engage with God in that kind of a way. And so let me just close this in prayer and then we can uh, go into some discussion. Lord, we are so thankful for your regular uh, common grace that you give us um, through the, the breaking of bread and, and the wine that we can uh, take together week after week. Lord, that you have foreseen into the future our frailty and have provided for us a regular means by which we could be reminded of your truth. Lord, that is an amazing gift, an amazing grace that you've given to us. Lord, we thank you that uh, you do go before us, that we have assurance of you. Uh, we have assurance of the work that you've done, of who you are, and um, the kind of grace gift that you offer to us. Uh, Lord, will we not uh, soon forget that? And Lord, when we do forget that, uh, would you please remind us by our brothers and sisters, or um, by the preaching of your word, or by the reading of your word, or by uh, the prompting of the Spirit, Lord, would you remind us of your truth? Lord, we thank you for all that you are and um, all that you have done for us, Lord, and all that uh, is yet to come. Uh, Lord, we praise your name and we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.